Last November, I got together with my friends, Todd and Carrie Alexander, and they put on an incredible event, the first annual Grenache Fest. It was held in Walla Walla, Washington on November 3rd, 2023. Uh, the event featured 12 Washington and Oregon Grenache producers, uh, and their wines were tasted side by side. It was moderated by yours truly and um, Patrick Kaminsky of Wine and Spirits and Somalia Chaucy Arkfeld joined the panel and they help offer their thoughts on the wine while I just did the stupid things that I do. Um, and then after the seminar, there was a concert uh, and a grand tasting. We had Stephen Malcolmus of Payment, uh, M. Ward and Mark Pickerel, uh, one of the best wine events I've ever been involved in. And it was such a success. We're doing it again this year. So save the date, November 8th, 2024. Um, so whether you're a producer, uh, whether you want to volunteer, or if you want to attend, just go to GrenacheFest.com and sign up on the list to stay tuned for this year's event. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a self-described enophile slash barfly slash ex-stand-up comic slash Glorious bastard, John Coyle. Happy to be here, man. John has 25 years of experience traveling the world and discovering great wine, and he is the director of engagement and sales for T. Edward Wines and Spirits in New York City. Uh, John is the creator and host of the D.O.T.J. podcast, which is Drinking on the Job, which is a toast to culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. And the Drinking on the Job podcast is now listening to in over 100 countries with over 200,000 downloads. Welcome, John. Thank you, man. I will say, I love saying over 100 countries, but when I really look at the metrics, it's like, oh, there's three people but in Australia. I say thing, man, but it's like, it's like one person in Latvia. But, but the facts are, it's, they're listening around. I do the same thing. You ever, you ever do the uh, chartable? The other, are they chart podcasts? Yes, yeah. So I see yours rates high. Yeah. But I love looking at it and I see like, oh my God, I'm like number seven in Ukraine. I'm like, Oh, oh, yeah. Fucking Ukraine is listening to drinking on the job. But hey, <laughs> guys in the trenches. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'll take it. Um, it's true. I mean, like, yeah, depending on the episode, like one episode, I'll be really, really big in Italy. You know, but it, I do find if I'm like, who the hell? And the, Russia is listening to my podcast. Know, right? It, it's a trip when you think about it, right? Um, so uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, Happy to be here. Met John. How I met John. Met John. John um, had me on his podcast. I think was that back in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it was a while. Right at the beginning. Right of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Close to the beginning. Because um, I had Karen 
Bimbry of La Luz, yes. who was working with you guys at the time. She That's was right. on, and you're yeah. friends with her, and you heard her podcast, and then you reached out to me. I just love the, the name Black Wine Guy because I, I was thinking we got to do an Ebony and Ivory podcast. Uh, and, and here it <laughs> and is. We people. <laughs> here we are. And here it is. Oh, I told you I did a uh, I did a live. I went live on IG like I used to do back in the day, um, and I told people you know this was going. I thought it was going to be a really good episode. It probably will go off the rails. Um, you have an ex-stand-up comic. You have a wannabe never gotten on the stage, but thinks he's a stand-up comic. Um, and, um, yeah, and just an interesting guy. I don't, we were talking before or after the podcast, so that's why I really want to have one to hear your story. But, um, yeah, what are we drinking today, brother? Today we are drinking uh, Berthier Cote de Genoa. Uh, you know, on my podcast, I sometimes try to match the wine to the person. So to, you're, you're so unique. You have an incredible voice. And I thought, I'm going to bring something that people know, Sancerre, but then I'm going to drill down that, go to a much, much smaller appellation, just slightly northeast of Sancerre. Uh, it's Cote de Genoa. Berthier is an incredible producer. They do a soil series. This one is from Celex. They also do Caillou and Marl. But the Celex is my favorite, and a lot of people drink Sancerre and go, oh, Celex, Sancerre. But to me, these wines are like so much less expensive, but there's all the farming, mm-hmm. and it's just like gorgeous, gorgeous Sauvignon Blanc. And let's be real, I mean... You know, Sancerre has become the, the Vegas stripper of fucking I know. wines. Like, it just cannibalized everything. And I know. I know. Yeah. When, did that, I mean, when did that happen? You know, it's kind of hit this point of um, inflection point of it's like Pinot Grigio. You could grow Pinot Grigio anywhere and right. people don't drink it. Right. You could grow Sancerre anywhere. People don't know where it comes well, from. Well, that's the thing. People yeah. don't even realize what grape yeah. is. Like, I, you know, I was doing some work um, with uh, Tribeca down there. And people just come in order, you know, like, do you have a Sancerre? And don't know what Sauvignon Blanc. Like yeah. they just, they just yeah. it's one of those fucking things, like, like you said. But it is, it's great But, but it, it is. But, yeah. you know, for me, what's interesting, I love Sauvignon Blanc. I love it in, in Bordeaux. But Loire Valley is one of my favorite places on the planet to go and discover wines. Mm-hmm. But uh, this little teeny appellation is just super cool, and there's not a lot of producers here. And I just totally dig what they do. This is delicious. I mean, this is, this is, you know, I want to say quintessential, but this is real. This is... Terroir driven Sauvignon Blanc, you know. I my get my third podcast. I had this uh, uh, friend of mine used to listen. He wanted to be on the podcast, and uh, I said, "So why are you on the podcast?" And he said, "Seriously, he goes, I have to tell you, I just love hearing you slurp." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, I don't know if that's why you should be on the podcast, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> but that's I cool. did have on the podcast actually. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, man, let's go. We're, we're in New York. We're kick it like Biggie. So where are you from, man? I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, people are, often say to me, like, how can you have that deep fucking Boston accent? And you know what? I sang as a kid in a choir, and I think the phonetics of that kind of changed, and then I just moved around a lot. Whereas my brother, Mark, still lives in, in Boston, and he would come visit me. I lived in California, and people would like, hey, Where's your brother from, New Zealand? His Boston accent is so fucking... Johnny, Johnny, how you doing? We gonna get a fucking beer? Where the fuck are we going? Like, what? Fuck. I, I, people, they thought he was from New Zealand. That's so thick. But uh, I grew up in Boston, and uh, I love when people... I say that because people are like, oh, Boston. I'm like, no, no. I, I grew up in hard scrabble, fucking Boston. I grew up in Roxbury, Mission Hill, um, tough uh, neighborhood. Um, lived through the uh, busing riots, and people don't know. Yes, that's what we were talking like, yeah. like, so, like, so, yeah, you said Roxbury, so, like, you know, um, that's, uh, what was that, 
Irish Irish Roxbury. Like you're, so you're black Irish. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You're, you're black. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, uh, it was, it was, it's a crazy neighborhood because people used to think that uh, Roxbury was just all black. So when I would go outside of Roxbury, go to, uh, you know, in the burbs, basically, they would go, wow, you're fucking tough. You're from Roxbury. And they did, they white people lived there. Right. Oddly enough. But um, this little enclave, Mission Hill, was, it was very mixed, but it was like the best people in the world to be around. It was firefighters, school teachers, cops, and nurses. And I would not trade that for the world. It taught me about work ethic. I have a huge respect for that blue collar work ethic and yeah. just people yeah. who do do it the right way. But uh, it was some shit growing up there. So you're Irish from Boston. How many siblings do you have? I have five sisters: <laughs> Anita, Teresa, Donna, Karen, Masha, my brother Mark. <laughs> the Mikey, Davey, Ricky, yes. the Goodwill uh, Hunting yeah. scene. Yeah. So I'm John. My brother's name is Mark. And my mother said. If she had more boys, she would have named us all left the apostles. It would have been Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's that couldn't have been more bizarre. Thank God we Ooh, had some girls. Yeah. Um, and where do you fall in the family hierarchy? I'm fifth. I'm fifth. So I have four older sisters. And again, man, I um, you know what it's like when you grow up as a young man. You have, you know, you're, you're starting to date, and I would see some of my fellow, you know, teenagers, and they started dating, and they were like, you know, oh, I met this girl. I I love her. You know, I think I'm going to buy her a coat. I'm like, what? How, how about just go out and have a drink with her? Like, because they couldn't relate. But you know, the only thing driving them was their hormones. Like, I gotta get laid, and that's the thing. I'm gonna buy her a coat. Some of the thing weird shit. Mission Hill. Is it, a, was, <laughs> it was. It was. But but having sisters who just like down and yeah, she'll get down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but my sisters were like kept it real for me about like how to relate to women. I love women. I have incredible respect for them, and I really could have been more blessed to have. Five beautiful sisters, but I'll give you a little snapshot of going going up there. So, a busing was um, happened in like 1974-1976. I'm in a private, a small Catholic school. Right. My father's working three jobs because that the city was such exploding. a hard working Irish family thing. It was like no matter what, the yeah. kids go to Catholic school. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least to eighth grade. Yeah. So we went. Uh, my, it happened around high school time. So my parents like. You go in there, my dad picked up another job. He's a truck driver, he's selling shoes, and doing something else. Went there. 1974, I don't know if people know busing. I, 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 you should check it out. Google it. It was like uh, being down south during the civil like disputes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the dogs attacking people. Yeah. There was a school in South Boston. So basically what happened was these uh, school uh, commissioners decided the schools are too, uh, you know, all white here, all black here. What we're going to do is we're going to take... And the, the benchmark would be South Boston High School and Roxbury High School. And we're going to take uh, those two schools, which are the worst schools, yep. and we're going, to inter we're going to take kids from Southie and bust them into Roxbury and Roxbury into Southie. And I will never forget the crazy riots. Um, I remember being in school. This is a bizarre story. We had a prefect who was the principal of the school. He was one of the last priests that could actually perform an exorcist. His name was Father Ellinghurst. And at the end of every year, he would come on the loudspeaker and go, all right, it's the end of school. Lots of vandalism again once again this year. My blood pressure's through the goddamn roof. And, and, another, and another thing, ah, forget it. And he would just, and everyone would just laugh hysterically. He was the toughest son of a bitch. One year, small school, average class is 50. Uh, is you look out, and all of a sudden the windows are being smashed. And you're in the classroom in glasses, hitting the floor. And, of course, young boys are like, what the fuck? And we all jump up to the window. Teacher's screaming, get away from the window. And there's nothing but, 
you know, kids throwing rocks at the windows, a lot of black kids because of the racial tension. Yeah. Father Ellinghouse comes on the speaker and he says, I want all the senior boys down the gymnasium. He, he goes down the gymnasium. I was a sophomore. So I'm just standing up there. I'm still trying to get to the window. The teacher's yelling. He arms them all with hockey sticks and baseball bats and says, let's go. Nobody destroys our school. <laughs> I look out the window. He is grabbing kids and hitting with baseball bats. This, and by the way, we're all dressed in charcoal pants, white shirt, and a sport coat. And the, the, the senior boys are out there just kicking fucking ass until the cops come. I, I, I was like, well, I think this came up when we were talking. I was like, yeah, I got to have one because people, because I, I think we, we're so naive in this country, you know, like, like how close we are to our, our past, right? Or, or we're not, it's never the past. The past is always with us. Matter of fact, most people, the past is actually their future, which is fucking up their future. But anyway, I digress. Um, but I, I think about Boston, like you said, like, it's, I, I find Boston in that so fascinating because one, it's the North, right? Like you said, like, mm -hmm. like it's like, yeah. it's, it's North, right? It was a lot of free Negroes. Nobody get mad. That was a term. A lot of free Negroes. If you ever seen the movie, uh, what was the movie with Matthew, uh, Project, the glory, glory. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. The, like there were free Negroes in Boston who were educated. Oh God, rest in peace. Andre Brown. Um, oh, yeah. he was great in the movie. Yeah. You know, fellow Jersey guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, so you have that, and, and but then, like, then it's Boston. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've always said growing up there, if you uh, if you took away the schools, which is Harvard, MIT, uh, there's tons of smaller northeastern Boston calls. If you took the schools out, it would be a redneck town. Well, that's the same thing. When yeah. People don't understand. New Haven, Connecticut is, yeah. is not Bridgeport because of Yale. Right? Yes, right. right. Like, like, and then you have other schools around. But colleges are what? Save a lot of cities from being just total. This is how. This is something like you. You have a hard time understanding people. Like, no, that's bullshit. I, Italian friends, American Italian friends, and we go downtown. Uh, we go into the North End, which is the Italian section of Boston. Uh, so I was probably 1980, right around there, and we go have dinner. And in the Italian restaurants, they would have a picture of the Pope, but above the Pope, they had a picture of uh, JFK. Uh, and so we went to have dinner, and no kidding, like this, like like eight guys going. Hey, what's that fucking Irish kid doing out here? And I'd be my type. They're like, what? And we're going to rumble with these guys because I look fucking Irish. I'm, yeah, yeah. I, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't help it. It's like fucking, I woke up one morning. I'm like right out of Central Casting. I look like a fucking Boston Irish cop. I can't help it. <laughs> and I've always thought like, so I tell my friends to be out and like, you know, you get to a certain age, like women really aren't checking up. And they're checking you out. I go, I highly doubt that there's some woman going like, hey, who's that whitey bulger looking fucking to? I'd love to take a swing at that old cop. Like, it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but that's, that's, that's the climate I grew up in. Yeah. And I am so blessed that my father and my mother, um, who didn't have any extended education, realized, true story, buses outside South Boston High School, Louise de Hicks with a megaphone, and people trying to turn a bus over with these young black kids on it, chanting, have another watermelon. Yeah. I mean, and then dropping the N-bomb. Yeah. And my parents would go, this is on the news. Yeah. My parents thought, who are these people that they would fucking, like, who's... 
Yeah. You know, like, what the hell's going yeah. on? So my parents had still this very long. And my sisters, we all went to school here. My sisters, we were, lovers. We were the end lovers. I won't even say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they would say that to your face. Oh, yeah. And, but but yeah. you know what? It was a great thing because we realized, like, look, we're on the fucking right side of history. We knew it then. Yeah. And we're still like that. Yeah. And what's crazy, but and the dichotomy of that is, like, Boston Celtics, first team ever played five black guys, start five, you know, red, you know. First black coach. First black coach, first black coach yeah. was Bill Russell, yeah. player coach. Yeah. Um, and, yep. Yeah. Casey Jones, black coach. Yep. Yeah. And I had Isaiah Thomas on. I don't know if you listen to the episode, but I had Isaiah Thomas on. And he's from Chicago. And he told the story of how his mother, they used to, he said, we root for the Boston Celtics because they were progressive, that organization was progressive towards their players. Yeah. Kuzi was too, yeah. by the way. He would stay in hotels if they wouldn't yeah. let Russell yeah. they have that real, it's a tough city. I, I, I will say it's, it's softened a lot. It's not like that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love Boston. Yeah. The, um, I mean, I used to, there used to be a famous place called the Lith Club in South Boston. And I had friends who would like, would go over there. And I would never even go over there by myself. This shit was real. I mean, yeah, I mean, they that's, would that's, drag you out that, of her. That's the town shit. Yeah. Like people think, that, totally. yeah, yeah. Um, Eddie Burke's famous place. Great, great musicians. And I would see it, and I still have such a sense for it. Like I said, this I wouldn't give this shit up. That great band, and then people come from out of the outside the neighborhood come in to listen to music, and inevitably this is what townies do. Two guys come in. They're not. They're not the locals. They're all all these guys have hot. Girlfriends and the girls are all sitting there, and these guys start hitting on the girls, and then all the all the townies are sitting there going, "Fucking Jimmy, what are you fucking queer? Fucking hitting on your girlfriend? I do shit." No fucking <laughs> right. Three, four, five shots later, yeah. the shit gets real. And yeah. the bouncer, I've seen this happen. So I would just like I, they knew I was like I'm out. And the bouncer would come over to this kid like, you know, Sean Kelly was like had arms like my legs, you know, and you would go like, Coil, it's about to go down. You want to get out? I'm like, thank you, I appreciate. It. They'd lock the door. They do some serious fucking damage on those guys, and it's funny people so see that shit movies, but it's 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 like it's real. it's real. And and to your point about overturning the bus, I think about like the most one of the most iconic. It was I'm not even nineteen. It was nineteen seventy six because it was a bicentennial flag. Yeah, where these guys trying to stab them <laughs> with the flag. Yeah, yeah. No. I bought. I was like Boston's buck wild. Yeah, it really is. Well, and they then like in retaliation. Oh, they were like. Uh, People were like thousands of people in a gang fight outside of like South Boston High School, Roxbury High School. Mm-hmm. And then in 76, I think there was a, a white guy who was pulled out of his car and beaten to death of us, comatose. And then again, another fucking huge riot. Um, that's what we grew up with. I mean, that's was. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it was a different time, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, like when people talk about violence, I don't think people today actually understand what real violence is. Like, violence is violence. Yeah. Because I've been in fights, and she's like, "Yeah, <laughs> violence is violence." Is violence. Is violence. My, my son, I have this conversation with my brother Mark, and uh, you know, he would just. Uh, my brother's like kind of nuts. He would just come up to somebody in a movie theater and hit them really hard on the chest. What's up, brother? And like these guys, are like, who the fuck is this kid? And I tell my brother, man, stop! What are you doing? Like these guys are like twice our size. It's for them. He's not gonna fucking do anything. I tell my brother, I said, look, we're not like these people right, right? like right. there are there are guys like i would be at an ice skating rink at 16 years old trying to hit a couple girls and my buddies go like ray fleming like come macaulay coil these guys are fucking with us in the parking lot come on oh just like what was that that was a goodwill hunting they're like you're going morgan yeah that's like that's like, like that guy who's cat fucked with me <laughs> yeah. in kindergarten yeah. 
and now I'm going to kick his ass. And, and, you, yeah. and you can, like, you lived, you lived in a clique relationship. You're expected to go. Yeah. And knuckle up. Oh, yeah. You know, so I just grab someone and hold up. So I'm not that guy. And I just tell my I remind my brother, like, there are guys, when I used to go, guys, didn't we just fucking meet some girls? Right. We're just like, yeah. like, no. But I told my brother, there are guys, they get hard on this kind of vibe. Yeah, it is it. their fucking sex. Yeah. They have a bloodless. You don't have it, I don't have it. Don't fucking pretend like you do. Yeah. I mean, I can take care of myself, but I'm not, violence is not my. Thing. It's not your default. I'm a lava baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, this is so fun because, like, um, <clears throat> you know, I've watched all these movies, and 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 then you get to meet people. I'm like, oh yeah, it's really, really, it was like that. It was like this, you know. Um, everything's saying like that one scene in Google One where where he's talking to the girl Skyler and he starts to make fun of him. <laughs> he's like, you know, and they're like, uh, oh, you've got a problem with that when you go outside. Yeah. And like, that's like no joke, right? Yeah. Um, when somebody asks you to go outside, you, it's, it's go time. Yeah. Only had to but say I, a couple I, times. Thank God I've never been in a bar where they locked the doors. They locked the door. And, and, and not to mention, most of the guys were like a couple years ahead of me. Most of them were Boston cops. So they carry. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good times. <laughs> so, um, you said your dad had three jobs. Yeah. Um, 70s. Did mom work? Because sometimes like, my mom didn't go to work until like I was like in sixth grade or so. Uh, my mom, you know, there was seven of us with mom yeah. and dad nine. You think about like cooking dinner for nine Exactly. Years? I was like, she, could, like, she had it. Just take, it her was, job was taking care of nine, uh, you know, eight other people. Yeah. yeah. I, I have, I can honestly say I, I lean more to my mother's side. She's communicative. That's loving, what, that's the same with me. That's all love. She passed away. At the funeral, there was probably 30 homeless people uh, who came because she used to go down the Brigham Circle and give them sandwiches and food. And they all came, and we were all laughing hysterically because the place stunk. <laughs> we were like, oh, shit. But, you know, they're crying and weeping, and these homeless people were like, and we all looked at each other, we're all, my sister's brother, we're all just laughing, going, this is mom. Yeah. This is a testament to who she is. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I was happy to go. It was time, it was time to go when I... Yeah, when I when I left and yeah, uh, would you uh, would you um, <clears throat> but before you go into that, like growing up, was there was it was the wars on the table and Schlitz or was there was there wine? Was there wine? oh uh, no wine? No, we drank uh, pretty much beer exclusively. Did you drink Mickey's? shots? <laughs> Mickey's Big Mouth. Yeah, uh, no, we did the Heffenreffer. Okay, we Heffenreffer the uh, f- uh, forty ounce malt liquor, so the okay. more alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was just. Crazy shit, and I cannot. There are some nights I wake up, cold sweats, yelling like, "How did I survive?" <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say how many times I got behind the wheel, and I should have been. Oh yeah, I think, you know, it's I'm, generational. I'm thing. so grateful. I never ever got a DUI. Yeah. Um, and 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 more importantly, I never hurt anybody. Yes, yeah, inside myself, but like, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was it was different. We just like. You see all these memes, but yeah, we Jenner and Gen X, we were just built different. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Boston moments, I was just remembered. A buddy of mine was a security guard at Boston Gardens, speaking of basketball. Okay. So he calls me up and he's like, Coyle, I got the keys. Come on down. We're going to have to play full court. So you got 10 of us to go play full court in Boston Gardens. Oh my God. On the parquet? On the parquet. So I found the dead spot, the infamous dead spot in the Celtics floor where the Celtics would notoriously trap a point guard in the corner right past half court. The parquet would go dead, so the ball wouldn't bounce as high. They would trap and steal the ball there. So I found that. Um, 
and we would we we were drinking beers, and I would just reliving all these beautiful, you know, Dr. J coming down, hitting a bank shot, and kind of going left. Um, you know, I saw Dr. J play, and you know, uh, all those all those great players. And at the end of it, uh, my friend who got fired in a classic Boston fashion had the keys to one of the refreshment places, pulled a keg of beer down, and so now we're drinking pitches of beer four o'clock in the morning. And I remember laying in the shamrock and just pouring beer on myself, thinking, I can't fucking believe I'm here. <laughs> My exit Boston story. That is so good. So, <clears throat> uh, where did you go to school? You went off to school, I take it. Uh, so, I went to Mission Church High School, and then okay. from there, I went to uh, Boston State, which turned into uh, basically Northeastern University. Uh, went there, uh, went to EMT school, thought I was going to be an EMT. Okay. At the time, uh, I moved out when I was like 16, 17. I just, uh, I loved my uh, mom too much to let her know. What was going on in my mind, my life at the time, which yeah. was absolutely fucking insane. Yeah. And uh, worked a couple of jobs, paid paid for my own school, um, and just uh, and didn't finish. But I thought I was going to be EMT. I was working as a an anesthesia tech in the operating room at uh, Brigham Women's Hospital. And uh, this is crazy. So I used to stock the anesthesia carts for IVs and all that stuff. And I would get on call. And so if somebody got to a motorcycle accident, hit a tree going 70 miles an hour. They'd come in at 2 in the morning. I would get a beaver. I'd have to go in, make sure that they had all the drugs available, that stuff, and hang. The worst case ever, and I, I have a strong stomach. I, I almost lost it. They had a burn patient come in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so setting the stage, if you're a burn station, you go into an OR, they have to turn the temperature up to 102, 103, because you have no skin to protect yourself. So it's 102 degrees, and then um, if you've ever seen those hospital movies, they put an anesthesia mask on your face, and the strap wraps around your ears. So I'm helping to put this guy on the gurney bed, because it's 2 in the morning, and the pustules just leaking out of his body, and then they put a mask on, and his ear slid down the side of his head. And at that point, I was like... Yeah, um, that's... And then I decided, ah, you know what, this really probably isn't for me. Yeah. And um, I always wanted to do, I did, I wrote for my brother doing stand-up. I did a little stand-up in Boston, and I wanted to follow the arts, and so I moved out to California. I didn't graduate school. Um, Good for you. you know, and uh, got off the plane. A friend of mine used to braggedly tell me what a great place he had and a big swimming pool if I ever was there. And I called him and said, I'm coming. He's like, great. And then uh, I called him the night before. He said, hey, my flight comes in at 9 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. He's just like, I got to tell you something. I don't really own a house. (laughs) What do you have? He's like, I'm in a two-bedroom apartment in the valley. And he's like, I don't think I can. I said, and I was serious. I was like, fuck you. I have my shit being loaded. I'm coming off a plane. You're picking me up. I'll stay with you for three days. And then I'm out of your fucking hair. But you have to pick me up. I don't know anything. Yeah. It's like, okay. Picks me up. I mean, I get off the plane. My sister... Where'd you fly into? LAX? To LAX. Okay. I was, uh, had a black sport coat on, with black Ray-Bans, black jeans. It was 130 yeah, degree. What year, what year was this? It was August. Uh, my sister gave me a first class one-way ticket. That nice. was her gift to me. Uh, he picked me up and um, I spent uh, like two nights and just going through bargain counters. I bought a car. I had some cash. I had about 10 grand on me. I bought a cash. I bought a car cash. And uh, lived in my car for a while until uh, some really, really kind woman finally, uh, I was looking at apartments and she said, uh, you don't have a job. You know? And I said, I said, I really need a place to live. 
um, I really appreciate it. I can pay a couple months up rent. She was like, oh, I have a son your age, you know, like, yeah. okay. And I paid her a couple months. So I had a one bedroom apartment in Venice on the Bagley in Venice. Ah. Uh, <coughs> my first apartment. In, uh, That's not started. too shabby. Yeah. Cause, cause it gives you, I mean, cause you had the cash. So it gives you some breathing room. Like, like yeah. okay, I got a place to stay. I'm not living in my car. A lot easier to find a job when you, when you have a, a modicum of stability. Agreed. And I was really close to the Hare Krishna Center. Yeah. So I used to always go there and eat because uh, I was broke as shit. And then um, there was some actually, I was just out of control. There was a really couple of hot Hardy Krishna girls. And then there was one guy who was just too guru for me. And so I purposely tried to piss him off to see if I could get him to take a swing at me. Because I thought, I thought, dude, how cool would it be this? I'm in the Krishna Center hitting, rapping to these beautiful women, yeah. bald and gorgeous in their orange sarongs. And this guy was happy, could see it, and he just like kept interrupting me. Now I'm thinking, oh, now I'm going to fuck with you. Yeah. And I was everything. So you're celibate? Like, you never. <laughs> Are you serious? And he was just like, yeah. I'm like, what? how is that spiritual? Like that kind of like just pushing every button, thinking I could do it, standing a little too close, seeing if I could get him to like lose his temper. He, I gotta say, he didn't. <laughs> did you date any of those women? I did it. Oh, I tried, God. man. I tried. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think when I was in California, I went through that whole like, I want the yoga chick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's like it's a California thing. Like, oh, look at her. She, I gotta she say, it's yoga and no joke. No makeup. She's amazing. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah, I know. Kale again? <laughs> <laughs> tofu, no, no, brown rice and tofu. Um, um, but you know, it's one of those like life experiences like you probably have. Yeah. I think a lot of people. I this is what I, I think of a lot. I think about one of the biggest problems. I don't want to be that guy yelling, "Get off my lawn!" But one of the biggest problems I see with a lot of adult males is in the thirties. Is that you know, uh, in the Amazon, these Indian tribes, they would um, when a boy got to a certain age, they would take rip him out of his tent. And then they would like take him like 30 miles away. They drop him in the woods and say, your mother, father, dad, we killed your parents. And they would leave him in the middle of the woods. And then he would try to find it. Inevitably, he would find his way back to his tribe and realize his parents were alive. And this trial of fire was one of those kind of maturity things. Um, and I think young men today miss a lot of that because they're so like, everyone gets a trophy. Every, you know, there's yeah. no like yeah. growth. And like right. these kind of trips when you're by yourself and you live sleeping in a car and you don't have money, <clears throat> this is your trial by right. fire. This right. is your time to grow up as a man right. and realize I take care of myself. Yeah. Right to passage. Yeah, yeah right um, to passage. Yes. People don't, we don't have those anymore. Yeah. You know. um, although, I just got a great idea. Let's create a, a right, of passage, right of passage program. For those new Apple goggles, will be will be. Oh will be, yeah, will be, will be the meta world. Yeah, yeah, meta world. Right? So, let's talk touch on this for a second. How about the the uh, Congress calling um, Zuckerberg and all these guys in front, and Lindsey Graham leads the panel with Mark Zuckerberg. You have blood on your hands because obviously the the suicides and the way it affects young girls and all that stuff. And I sat there and I was so furious with Lindsey Graham and his whole congressional panel because these are the motherfuckers that can do something. They can legislate right. to prevent, like, you have to have, like, like liquor, you have to have an ID, you have to be a certain age right. to get on Instagram, right. to get on Facebook. Right. They can legislate, they don't give a shit. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I have friends who have guns. I don't have a problem with guns, but, like, it's too easy to get a gun. Yeah. And school shootings and, um, you know, What's wrong with, you know, got, actually government, like, everybody gets on a soapbox or something happens, right? But they don't really do anything. 
I mean, it's yeah. I mean, we could go into the whole border. We need we need to do something about our border. But then, like, because you can't impeach someone, you're not going to put the funding through to actually work on the border, which is what you said you wanted to do. Yeah, and now it's uh, and, and now you know, it's not going to pass. Now it's not going. You know, so we're in a, and we've seen us. So I I think just you know we're about the same age and. I'm fortunate. I mean, we've seen so much technology. We've seen so much yeah. that people like don't even get like, we've seen a president get caught doing something illegal. And what did he do? He resigned. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was, there used to be some civility in society, right? Or even the idea, the sense of impropriety, you wouldn't be able to. Right. I mean, I mean, for as, a, as a lawyer, right. as a graduate law school, it was always like, it's the, the appearance not even, it doesn't have to be. It's the appearance of impropriety. Right. <clears throat> and people would excuse themselves. Um, so it, we got some interesting stuff going on. Thank God we have wine. And I, yeah. I, we, I'm sure you did the videos. Like I know you weren't doing dry January. But um, so, you, <laughs> so you're out in Venice, man. Venice, uh, Venice is still one of my favorite places. It's um, um, I'm assuming this was uh, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. 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 And so still... Thing with California, people are like it still wasn't even that populated. It's, you know, I'm still kind of sleepy. Yeah, and and Venice gritty back then for real. Big time. Dogtown, Z Boys. When the sun went down, you got your ass out of Venice yeah. unless you were with the right people. Yeah, yeah. You did not walk around. There. Yeah. And there's a couple cool restaurants. It's, now it's really oh, yeah. it's still a dodgy. Yeah, but it's still of the of the, of the yeah. beach communities. It's it's the sketchiest. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, for sure. I dig Santa Monica. I love Santa Monica. I listen. I love Santa Monica too. It's yeah. ooh, Santa Monica. California, um, love of California. But so, um, what what did you do for a job? You, you were walking around. You got this wonderful woman. She was kind enough to. I, to I was an act. So I was I was also trying to be an actor, and I was get, trying to get stand that get tracks. some stand up stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I got a job as a uh, for a, a bartending a hotel for a little bit. That didn't work out. And then I actually had somebody in uh, Boston. Somebody had a, a connection to a big producer in LA. Okay. And so I met him in the green room. So I go on the Universal lot in my like you know, 1969 Ventura that I bought. And uh, I was just like, holy shit, am I in like the cafe? This is NBC Studios and like, and this guy. And uh, he, we both had a pair of Ray-Bans on. And he was like uh, very effeminate and said, we can't wear the same thing. You better let me know when you're wearing glasses. So I was <laughs> oh like, God. okay. And yeah. then... We started talking. He's like, I know everybody. And he started to call me. This is, and this, I'm not, this is just the way it happened. Um, he kept calling me. He wanted me to come to these big parties. And he would say, uh, Dave Pool, bring your Speedo. Or don't bring your Speedo. We're going to swim naked. And, and I realized the guy was just totally fucking hitting on, <laughs> hitting on yeah. me. And I was just like, and finally I said, look, dude, this isn't going to fucking happen. So just quit fucking calling me. Um, and I, so I, I feel bad because I know like people always hear about women being taken advantage of. But there's a bunch of guys. Well, Terry Crews. Yeah. Terry uh, Crews, yes. professional football player, talked about <clears throat> being hit on and guys yeah. grabbing his. I mean, like and Terry's a big motherfucker. There, you got to be pretty bold to grab. God damn, yeah, man! I mean, somebody played so in the it. NFL. <laughs> I mean, football's a violent game. Like you know, T Terry, like, like you, you got to have some weird fucking men yeah. go fetish to want to fuck with that. That was yeah, dude. Like that is that is serious. <laughs> you know, whatever floats your boat. <clears throat> but uh, but no, it's true. I mean, I think. Inside of that culture, um, you know, I'm watching a lot of these shows like The Marvelous Miss Maisel, and you mm -hmm. and you watch some of these older shows about the entertainment industry, 
And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, 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 right or wrong, that was the culture of, yeah, of, totally of, was. of that industry. Totally. I, I, um, Definitely, by the way, wrong people, but I'm oh, saying that's yeah. what I mean. But some of them like, he said right or wrong. Predatory behavior, predatory behavior. But you know, I also gave me like great, again, great balls to like, had somebody send me out and like, I'm, I'm uh, reading for a part and there's like, um, Dennis Leary and John Cryer and mm -hmm. we're reading for the Irish guy in Crossing the Sticks. Well, you're going to lose that one, Leary. I mean, I think yeah. you could. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, now look at oh. you say that. Like, whenever, yeah. whenever, when I was like in acting class late, it's like, okay. Like, then you realize how fucked you are. I was like, okay. Okay, so I'd be going up against Will Smith for roles, so I'm yeah, not going to do that. that. Yeah, 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 like, 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 you're in a category like Irish dude, Boston. Uh, yeah. Dennis Leary's going to go, yeah. yeah, like, we got, we got this guy, John. We got Diddy. You know? <laughs> but, you know, isn't it cool that, like, I mean, to be sitting in that room and just doing that, um, you know, I was just like, this is awesome. And then I started working uh, in a restaurant, mm -hmm. and uh, I was doing a lot of writing with my own stand-up, and I hooked up with another guy, we both writing, and we would do, like, the Laugh Factory. We would, we would so go around. Yeah, and trying um, open mics. One of the funniest things was the Laugh Factory... Um, so I was going up and I was going like 10th and be two in the morning, nobody there. And so they had the new uh, MC when I called Falstaff. And I said, uh, they said, hey, write your bios, we'll put it in. And I just wrote like, you may recognize this guy, next guy, he was uh, a regular Hill Street Blues. He's done the Carson show. And of course, I didn't. Right. And he calls me. And so I'm, we're all sitting there just like in the back drinking, waiting to go on, thinking it's coming too. And they go, hey, uh, this next guy, maybe, you're right, maybe you'll recognize him, Hill Street Blues. <laughs> <laughs> I went up and then afterwards somebody said that fucking guy never did that <laughs> but the best so it, it, then it banned me from the club prior to that though Polly Shore used to come in all the time okay and so I went yeah, his mother Mitzi Shore owns the yep. comedy store but also connected to the Laugh Factory so there used to be this guy named Vince who would go up and he's a security guard and he had like serious deep deep depression and he would wear security guard uniform on stage. And he was absolutely fucking horrible. So one night he goes up and he um, does. So Polly Shore would always come in and do his bit. And he would just come up and he did Polly Shore's bit, his entire routine, word for word. And here's this like 50 year old security guard going, hey, um, I'm the weasel. <laughs> Dude. Right? So we're just howling. And then 20 minutes later, Polly Shore comes in and does his routine word for word. And everyone is falling off the fucking chair laughing. Paul well, Shore doesn't realize. He it's for him. <laughs> she doesn't realize that the, the security guard clowned him. Yes. 30 minutes exactly. earlier. Yeah. That was it. Your act's so fucking predictable. <laughs> a, secure, a depressed security guard can deliver. We're like, Vince, you can retire now. It ain't getting any better than that. <laughs> so you weren't really into the comedy thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the best thing ever was my. Um, I was at um, uh, the comedy place, uh, the Improv on Melrose, okay. and a buddy of mine, we were just there drinking, hanging out, I always wanted to get on at the Improv in the comedy store, of course, and uh, Sam Kennison was there, mm. and for those who know Sam Kennison, legendary screamer, beyond fucking funny, uh, done a ton of movies, uh, passed away too soon, but really hilarious, like if you went to the comedy store on a Monday night and Sam Kennison was there... Uh, in the back would be Dennis Miller, David Letterman, everyone, standing room only, and he would destroy and take the whole fucking room down for like 45, 50 minutes. Son of a preacher, he had that preacher personality, he also wrote a long coat for it, hilarious. My buddy started busting his balls at the improv, and 
he's like, what do I have here? Like, shit, look at these fucking rookies. I said, why are you such a fat drunk? And he's just like, I'm eating your mother's pussy. And we like, <laughs> he just he just destroyed my friend in front of us. So we're all pissed in our pants laughing. He goes, seriously, what are you guys doing here? I said, I've been trying to get the comedy store. You killed it. He goes, come open for me on Monday night. You got 10 minutes? I'm like, yeah, he goes, come open for you. And I went, fuck you. You won't know. He goes, come Monday night. Monday rolls around. I'm like, okay. Drive up. It's five o'clock. Nobody's there. Go, hey, Sam. Sam's here. He's in back. All right. Walk through the comedy store. Totally. It's empty. It's my boy. Show up. He's sitting on a couch, dark, hungover as a motherfucker. And uh, I said, hey, Sam. He's like, you remember? He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you want to do your 10? I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, cool. Come back. Come back at 6.30. And I opened for Sam Kenson. The comedy store did about 10 minutes. Um, obviously, it was so successful that I'm sitting here talking to you. I know. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's, but, that's legit. But that was fucking, like, I. that's one of those things, like, how can I have any regrets about this? Exactly. Yeah, how can I? Right. I mean, I... Right. Know. I mean, that's insane. Like, yeah. I mean, first of all, yeah, um, Google him, if you don't know me, who he is. Oh, I think my demographic everybody does, uh, most of them. And uh, I mean, he's legendary, and that whole, that whole scene, and the fact that you got to go on before him... I mean, that just doesn't happen. Like those, you know, I watched the comedy store special. Yeah. And, or you want, and like, you know, when, like, so if Dave Chappelle showed the comedy store, everybody gets bumped. Chris Rock, like, like no, any comedy club in New York, anywhere, like, like you could get bumped at any time. So for someone to be, to be like, to put you on like that, obviously your shit wasn't that funny, which is sad. I, I think you're funny, but funny as shit. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I was trying to think of like some of my jokes, yeah, so like, yeah. you know, like, you know, hey, uh, you know, I love these rubbers, you know, rip for her pleasure. Hey, guys, you know what? Turn them inside out. Rip for my pleasure. <laughs> That's the kind of shit. But, you know, also it's a time capsule because like Andrew Dice Clay was, if you think about how I saw him live, yeah, was, right? yeah, yeah, I saw him live. Like, yeah. it was a different world. It was, it was, it really was a different world. It was. I, I mean, like, yeah, because like most of the shit we think is funny, it's not. Well, you can't say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, and, but, <laughs> and I'm laughing just about all these comedies, and all this stuff, and and even like how you would. It's, it's so bad, but like, like. Like, even, like, picking up women, the things you would say and get away with back oh. in the day. Oh, yeah. You it would just, just don't fly anymore, which is good, because um, I'm not out there trying to do that. But yeah. um, <clears throat> but it, 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 it is, I mean, God damn. I, I'm, a, I'm a big, you know, I hear a bunch of people, like, talking about, you know, you, you, comedians can't be free to say what they want to say. And I'm just a big believer in they just should be able to say whatever the fuck they want to say. I agree. Comedy for me is it is it's 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 satire, it's commentary, and it, it's a place to say the things that we don't want to say and we can and laugh and open up the dialogue yeah. for uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. But historically great comedians have done the George Collins world, the Lenny Bruce's of the world. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. God damn I love know, Richard Pryor. Chris Rocks. Yeah. You know, Chris Rock Killer, um, Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle yeah. is like Amongst comedians, David Tell. Yeah, David, David Tell. Tell. I mean, he's so funny. And that's the thing about comedy, though, man. Like, there's so many funny motherfuckers. Like, oh I'm, pretty, God, I'm yeah. pretty funny. You're yeah. funny. Sam Couture was on here. He was funny. Yeah. I, I look at people who have podcasts and then kind of do like Sam did some, you know, but like, but like inside the world of funny, like there are the funniest people you don't know because they're comics, comics. Yeah, true. Right. I feel like that about David Tell. I mean, yeah, he's a comics comics. Uh, I mean, he used to do that uh, Insomnia show. Later yeah, night. I watched that. And yeah. like, I like, I know some of his shit. Oh, I, and when I was in LA, I would uh, 
Do you know Bobby Slater is a pretty famous, famous comedian? Mm -hmm. Like he saw me and he goes, hey, would you like to write jokes for me? And he wanted to give me like a dollar joke. And I'm like, no, why am I going to give you my fucking great jokes? His best joke ever, by the way, was, uh, hey, I'm watching West Side Story. And this dude's running through the streets of Harlem yelling, Maria, Maria. And only one woman comes to the window. <laughs> I mean, like, he was funny, but yeah. I was like, I'm not going to sell you a doll a, a joke. That's yeah. not even fucking money. Yeah, that's fucking Went to the second one. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Again, for you, something really cool and interesting. Uh, from Cortona in Tuscany, uh, Syrah. And people go, wow, oh, shit, when do they start planning Syrah? How about Napoleon's sister? <laughs> when she just, like, ran this principal area. She planted Syrah because she loves French wine. She loves Corotti. They planted it back then. I love Syrah. And to me, it's my, it's one of my favorite red because people play big, but this doesn't have a lot of tannin. Syrah doesn't. And uh, I think it's just accessible. I, I totally dig it. Um, well, you know what, John? This is a perfect time to take a quick break. Cool. And then we'll come back. We'll talk more uh, about why you love Syrah. We'll talk about comedy. We'll talk about the podcast. We'll just keep talking. So we'll be right back. Hey, I don't know if I told you this, guys, earlier, but last year, Grenache Fest sold out within 72 hours, right? So if you want to be there in 2024, on November 8th, make sure that you go over to GrenacheFest.com and sign up for the email list so you will be the first to know when tickets go on sale. Like I said before, this was a one-of-a-kind event. Imagine wine and music coming together in a way that just... I had never seen before. Go to GrenacheFest.com for more information. Okay, we are back with John, and John was just waxing a little bit poetic about this Syrah. The so, Pauline sisters responsible for this, apparently. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I'm going to roll it into like, my Syrah joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have to, you know. Uh, you know, used to be you could never sell Syrah, and they say, what's the difference between Syrah and VD? <laughs> you can get rid of VD. <laughs> Anyway, that's the that's the Sriracha wine humor. But I love I love Sriracha. It's one of my favorites. It's just like it's gamey, it's meaty. Um, this is Fabrizio's wine. Um, uh, it's just uh, this is a super. There's only a couple of producers that make Sriracha, and the soils are like uh, all rocky and slate. So you get this mineral. Yeah, it's very mineral. That's, that's what I was, I was checking the alcohol content too. So it's very, it's very, it's kind of lean. Yeah, but it does have that richness that Sriracha. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I love Syrah from Tuscany. I had, I've had, a, uh, I've had. This will be the third one I've had. Um, so good, yeah. Um, I think it does well there. Um, this is delicious. So <clears throat> you do You were, you were actually, and that's the thing. We're talking about comedy, and, and you were actually. I mean, you were on this. You were doing it. You were auditioning. You were mm -hmm. opening for people. Um, but you mentioned you did. You worked as a bartender. That didn't work out too well. Mm -hmm. um, what was um, what were you doing? You weren't going to sell your jokes for a dollar a joke. Nope. So what kind of what were you doing? Well, I, for I, work? I left California. I was waiting tables, and um, you know, I I, fe I felt like a, a you know, uh, I'd go to Barney's uh, Greengrass on Sunset and write jokes with a couple friends, and we trade jokes off and stuff. And then um, I fell madly over this beautiful uh, volleyball player, um, just you know, think about um, think about a beautiful woman who's Spends most of her days digging in the sand, deep sand. Um, I mean, it's, and I mean, and it's, it's and every <laughs> East Coast guy's fantasy. Yeah, who moves out to California is either the surfer girl, the volleyball yeah. girl, yeah. or the yoga girl, or the yeah. So, yeah, girl. yeah. So she she was great, and she got a, a, a serious gig being a photographer back in New York City. Okay, and um, 
I really missed her. It was my first kind of big love under my first high school sweetheart kind of thing. Um, so we talked on the payphone all the time back then. Oh my God, they don't even know what payphones are. I don't know. Did you, have, did you have a beep or did she beep you? I know. I, I, did, I had a beep when I started selling wine, which we'll get to. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I call her and I just missed her so much. And then I was just like, you know what? I've always wanted to live in New York City. She's like, please come, please come. So I, I came to New York to be with her. Um, didn't work out, but like we lived together. Still love her, still a friend. Um, but then I found myself in New York and one, I was trying to find a job. Mm -hmm. And I was looking through the Village Voice actor comedian oh and God, I saw the show. Yeah. I know the Village Voice journalism, man. I know. <sighs> Karen McDonald, that's what we get. Oh God, journal, the death of journalism. It's so sad. So what's wrong? I mean, you don't have it. Because people don't read. People don't read. And what's happened is the small local newspapers that kept it real. Yeah. It had a different voice yeah. in the way we think politically, socially. And now it's all on the same feed. Well, that's the problem, right? The problem, has, you hit the nail right on the head. Because um, from politics, from work I've done in the nonprofit sector consulting, like local politics is what shapes national politics. And, and yeah. the fact that you don't have a local newspaper saying, no, X candidate is actually a freaking dirtbag, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. And you trust it because you know the writer because they're in your neighbor, because they're in your, they're in your community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whereas people will just believe any random piece of shit off the internet. It's true. Um, but it did. And, that, and that's what shapes the larger narrative. Um, I digress, but I didn't want to digress. This is what yeah. this is my show. This is the type of shit we talk about. We're drinking wine. Yeah. Screw you guys. Yeah, exactly. We're telling jokes. Yeah, here. yeah exactly. <laughs> So I go, so I'm looking through the Village Voice, and I see this thing for the First uh, First Amendment Improper. Okay. Um, and I went to see it with my girlfriend, and the show blew me away. Robin Williams used to go there. I met Robin, um, and I was like, how the fuck do I get into this? I don't know what the fuck Improper is. And I see Audition First, Impro First Amendment Improper. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to go. So I go, and this woman, Barbara Cattardi, is a black box. I'm sitting there, spotlight. She goes, okay, uh, starts talking to me. She goes, what are you doing? So I just started doing my stand-up show. And she's like, what? what? Can I ask you what you're doing? I'm like, doing stand-up. She's like, no, this is improv. I'm like, oh, I thought I had to bring an audition piece. I was going to do six. No, you listen to me. I tell you what to do. And I'm like, okay. So afterwards, I was like, I fucking blew that. Walks up to she goes, hey, we're going to do a thing called the Comedy League Players before or after the First Amendment show. We want a comic to open up for the improv show. And I'll tell you what, you can come take the improv class free because you should be in the improv show as well. And I'm like, done. So I started going down. The show started like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So I could work, get off work, go down, do a 10-minute set, jump in the show. And that was like, I kind of found my way into New York, uh, you know, world pretty quickly mm -hmm. uh, and made some exceptionally good friends because, you know, we're all the same. <clears throat> I looked up, man. I, I did. That's cool, man. And how long did you uh, do that for? That was a couple of years. And that was like during the crack epidemic. So it was on <laughs> Bond Street. Of, there was lots of material. <laughs> yes. It was Bond Street. Ooh. So Bond Street, where Albuco is now, like, it, it, I will never forget, it was like three degrees, the wind is whipping, and there, there are guys with no shirts on walking down the street, cracked out of their mind. It was a really tough, tough part of the city at the time. Yeah. But, um, you know, I did that for a while. Um and then I started improv. Uh, we started our own group called uh, Mental Furniture with three of the most talented guys I've ever worked with. And we started writing shows. We did a show at the Public Theater. We sold out on New Year's Eve. And then HBO said, we love what you guys do. Flew us out to Los Angeles. Did a theater. Uh, put us up in a theater to do a, a, a kind of a rotation. And um, didn't work out. Flew back. But, you know, that's the kind of shit. That's so cool. But that's, I mean, I think that's the entertainment business 
this is interesting when you really look at it because um, how many false starts are there, right? Like you said, like, you know, um, Odenkirk. I love Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Uh, yeah. But he yeah. did, like, like you did, improv. Yeah. They had the show, ran away the show for three years. But but it's like I said, like, when, when you're, like, really funny, you're not going to be popular. Because yeah. it's, 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 it's just, like, it goes over, it, like, it's, like, like, Comedians, comedians, right? Oh, you yeah. I always say, like, comedians, um, they, they never laugh at each other's jokes. Right. Although the only time I've ever seen it was Sam Gannison. Co uh, comedians, I used to go, do, I would do stats, I'd be at the comic strip, and, you know, go on, because Chris Rock actually did butt me off one night, I was like, fuck you, I went on one in the morning with two drunk people. <laughs> exactly. um, comedians never laugh at other comedians' jokes. They sit there like, you do a really funny joke about, like, you know, you know, you 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 your father dying or something, and it's you know, people laughing, and the comedians all they see you come back and hey, you know, I have a really good joke too about my father dying. Right. There's no like, hey, great joke. Right. It's just like it's so competitive and cutthroat. Right. It's not a camaraderie. It's like a, right. a, 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 it's really really like that. Well, it's 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 clicky, right? Cat Williams just blew up the internet with that whole thing about about stealing clicks, yeah, 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 like yeah, stealing jokes and like how people have their clicks. Um, but uh, I just think I just find it like I like what it takes. Like I can get it. I do. I've done a ton of public speaking. I can get out. I could probably speak to him down one bottom. But like to step on a stage with the intent of making people laugh is a whole nother level of courage. <laughs> uh, it is. I'm, I kind of. It's funny because I took a long. Obviously, I stopped. And then when I launched the podcast, oh, it's four years ago now. Um, I thought, I'm going to do a live show. I'm going to call Drinking on Job. I'm going to launch my podcast off the show. And I rented a theater, the Sidewalk Cafe, and I would invite other people, Andre Mag, Karen King, all these people you know, yeah. to come down and give me, I want you to give me five minutes, no jokes, a real story about the industry. Mm -hmm. And it was great. But the cool shit was, I got to open the show, and I would do like five or ten minutes of like material that I just wrote. And I took it as a Zen exercise to myself. Because like all of a sudden people started canceling and I was like, oh, I can't do five minutes. Now I can do 15 minutes. I don't have 15 minutes worth of material. It takes a year to put together a real right, that's set, how, right? Yeah, yeah, the whole set is like a year. And I would just get flipped out and then I just, I realized it's like, you know what? I'm going to like, this is my Zen test. I am going to go on stage and I'm going to just riff off the top of my head and I'm going to make sure not one fucking person knows that I'm sweating my ass out. Yeah. Well, I mean remotely nervous. Yeah. So I took it on as a personal like, yeah. this is a good place for me to be in my life maybe. Um, so I reshaped it, and I had to do it a couple times, but it was great. We did that for, I don't know, six months, eight months. We did a show every Monday night, like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. It was pretty well attended. It was fun. It was just also great just to hang out with people. Yeah. Like, if I, if I resurrected it, you'd be one of the first people I'd say, you got to jump on. Oh, I totally jump on with you. But, so how'd you, get, but how'd you get into wine? So like you said, you were, you were, you were, you were doing stuff with comedy. <clears throat> Um, you were looking for a job. I'm bringing it back to women. Okay. So this girl, I felt I know, like, every good wine story yeah, is about a girl or a boy. Like, like as, as, you know, that, uh, as, as, you know, that, that little triangle has bought empires to its knees. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, um, I, I, so I came back to New York. I wrote a play in 1996 called, okay. uh, Donkey Bar, which is a pejorative term for an Irishman. And it got really good reviews. It was pretty good. I wrote it. I got some money to, to get it produced. I did it right next to where Rent was playing um, in an off-off Broadway theater. And um, Tom Burns, who started Tea Edward Wines, I used to run some tastings all the time. He's like, damn, you know a lot about wine. Because the girl that I was trying to you know, make my wife, um, 
she loved wine. So I'm like, if she loves wine, I'm going to figure everything about wine because I love her and I want to get close to this woman. So I started like deep diving on wine and then found I really did love wine. So when she left, I still loved wine. And Tom came to see my show in 1996 and said, dude, this is a great show. You really should sell wine. And I'm like, I'm glad you liked the show, Tom. And then I was cleaning theater and I remember reading that Sam Shepard, who was the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Barry Child, all these incredible plays that he wrote. I was living at Poverty Low for so long. And I was cleaning the theater going, I can't do this. I right. saw my dad hustle with these kids. Right. I got to do something else. Right. Tom said, you should sell one. Called him and go, hey, man. Right. Uh, I want to come down. I want to interview. Right. And he's like, okay. Right. No, that's, that's I'm, you know, that's facts, right? Like, yeah. I was talking to the owner of the studio today. I was like, because I haven't been here. Recording the studio in a while, but I'm you know I'm doing my thing. I got that show on the road, and we were just saying you know like it's you have to have some grit to do anything that we're, in the entertainment world. Podcast is entertainment, sure. it is you know, and and to stay on um, and be consistent because I'll give you a perfect example. A uh, buddy of mine uh, worked in film. Uh, we lived just in the Upper East Side, Irish Harlem, back in the late 90s, <laughs> yep. 97, 98, East 93rd, 1st. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tavern, my yep. favorite place for Guinness. But okay. worked worked, worked on, you know, The Bone Collector, worked on tons of movies. Uh, actually introduced me to Angelina Jolie while I worked on The Bone Collector. He was her, he was her, her wow. PA, and I drank wine with her, and I tell people, and I'll say it again. So, ergo, here to fact... De facto, I'm responsible for her uh, collaboration. I'm probably responsible for Chateau Merval because oh. when I when I met her, we drank. She I just met her in her, her trailer. And, uh, it was like twelve o'clock, and I was like, "Come on down, Angie wants to meet you." It was a bottle of Rosemont Merlot from Australia, so it was like a seven dollar bottle, <laughs> exactly. Oof. And Chateau Merval. So I, I, I was talking to her about Barbaresco, and she was telling me I was like, Barbaresco. But anyway. It is hard, and to where I was going with that is so. And he was actually first assistant director on a Kevin Smith film, Dogma in New Jersey. Oh, sure. Jersey. Yeah. But like, he left and went on worked, worked on Wall Street, and now he's fucking retired. <laughs> he's younger than me, right? Like, like even yeah. someone who was making it, like, what are you making as a first AD? Thousand bucks a day, yeah. maybe? maybe, 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 yeah. maybe? Yeah. right? So, um, it is. But I can see how, and I've seen this like for me with sales and retail and things like the ability to be comfortable with people and just talk to people. Yeah. I see why I said so. You, you call them up and you go to work at TR Wines. So, uh, yes. So, um, to talk about like pre HR days, this was the interview. I walk in, his right hand man, Nick Tricks, British guy. Um, walk in and uh, Tom introduced me, hey, Nick, this is John Coyle. We got Nick hired sales. And he looks at me as a British accent and goes, he goes, I hope you have a big dick, mate. <laughs> I said, uh, I just looked at him, I skipped a beat, and I said, well, you know, I'm not knocking down buildings, but I don't think I'm hurting the national average. <laughs> and he just looked at me, and he was like, and, and, like if you, we were kind of confiding from the start, yeah, yeah. but then like afterwards we became very good friends, and Tom said, hey, I need Chablis. Um, can you go to France and find a Chablis? And I said, sure. And I said, I don't speak French. He's like, Nick speaks French, and two are you going to go? And we went, and we found Daniel Damp, we found some other shit. And I fell in love with it. Mia, my daughter, was born. She was probably a year old. And Tom, 
uh, while I was away, he knew, went by, saw my wife, bought groceries, bagels, all the shit, and my wife was like, who is this guy? And uh, that's why Tom and I are still friends. He's just an incredibly generous soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, how do I not do this? And, and I fell madly in love with traveling and sure. discovering wine. Sure. sure. Um, and realized I had a, a knack for it. So, yeah. So, yeah I mean, <clears throat> 25 years experience traveling the world discovering wine. So, um, I'm just blown away that they like, like, they're like, oh, yeah, you're a comedian. I need a Chablis. Go to Chablis with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck? I know, it's true. But, you know, don't forget, I, I would see Tom at a bunch of tastings, so I taste wine. Oh, right, so he knew, yeah, he knew your pal. He, he knew you knew. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's the, really what it was about. It's like, I think this guy could do it. I, I was drinking a lot of wine at the time, tasting, and so I was But I, I love that, because uh, that was, back in that back in the day, that was um, also before the commodification of wine education. Yeah. Right? It was it wasn't first of all, there was like four Psalms in New York City and they were like all French. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even know if they were certified, they were just smaller, they were just, you know. Um but like when I started Acker, I knew John Capon. You know, I was a ticket, I was good people. All right, you can learn how to sell wine. You can you can learn yeah. about wine. Like do you have like whereas with the education first approach? I'm, this is someone who has a, a, a doctorate degree. Me mm-hmm. speaking, the, that does not. The I learned about wine by tasting the same way you did. Yeah, like just um, learning to a test, whatever six to twelve wines you need for a test, and then expecting that to translate. It it doesn't. It doesn't always translate. I don't want to knock anyone's wine education. <laughs> But it doesn't always translate to the person because we, we came up in an era where you, there was just you just got to taste a lot of and and it's another thing too when I came in in '97 you know Petrus was not what it was a bottle it was still freaking expensive yeah. and it was more of it around I got to taste all the incredible wines of the world um, and people always go oh do you have it I'm like no man I just I just yeah I just tasted a lot of wines. I know. Too many people who are in the wine world and in Massasoit, as I think I helped help three of them get their blind tasting down because I'm a good blind taster while I was in Chablis tasting wine. And I, for too many people, it's just a, an academic exercise right. that they want to lord over wine. It's like they're having their doctor's degree. Exactly. Like I can tell you, like, hey, I'm the smartest person because I'm a master sommelier. Right. But when you taste with them, I've, I'm like, you can see they don't even like wine. Right. It's no, just no. They don't even I know. It. I was, I was, saying, I was like, I, there's so many people who like, I'm not, I, but like, so many people who like, don't even enjoy wine. Like I enjoy wine. That's why I talk about it. It's like, like, and, but like, the amount of people who have not. It's it's surgical. It's like it's it, for me. The, the, you know the rant. This beverage that has touched every facet of civilization, and for people to be so surgical with it, you know, um, I mean, look, there's I probably better ways to make money too. To be honest yeah, with you, yeah. I mean, to me, it's just like I, you know, it's always like be off color but you know it's like I love wine like it's a passionate thing for me like, really? be, but it's simple like it's like these people they just make it so dry and academic it would be like if they were you know saying hey uh, you should have sex with somebody yes put your penis in pull it out put your penis in pull it out it's so like not soulful and uh, passionate and spiritual like that's but wine is a spiritual wine experience, is a spiritual experience. Yeah. It, it, it's passion it's yeah. the beverage of passion right I agree with you right? I'm glad you know the technical shit but yeah. what the fuck and is that's, that and that's like what I think has worked 
I'm sure, I think for your podcast and my podcast, it's like, it's the stories, right? Like we can, we can wax, but you can go to their website and they'll tell you what clone and, and, and actually I do love the piece about the Polar Sister. That's great. Yeah. Cause that's, but like people will get so into the weeds on this shit yeah. and wonder why they're not attracting new customers and mm-hmm. wonder why people are turned off. Right. Um, and you know, this is this beautiful, beautiful beverage that, uh, yeah. that, that, um, Facilitates fun conversations like the one we're having. Okay, so Chablis, daughter born. Um, what's kind of like? So did you did you become a buyer or were you more like you were also on the bricks? I was on the bricks. The bricks. I was on the bricks. I was bartending uh, to. Um, oddly enough, I was bartending. Uh, I took some time off to write that play in 1996, okay. and then a friend of mine called me as bartender. He was tanking, so I was doing some bartending shit. A couple nights a week, and then selling. But I didn't have a big book, so I was selling barely, you know, enough to survive. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget. Tom was like, "Hey, uh, sales rep sell thirty thousand. They make ten percent. They that's enough for them to live on. What do you going to sell?" And I said, in my interview with him, I said, "I gotta sell hundred thousand as quickly as possible." He laughed. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah." And uh, he's like, "Okay." And probably in a year, I was selling hundred thousand, um, and a month, right? A month. Yeah, yeah and then. Yeah. Uh, just because I, I was just I was a beast and uh, being a dad too and then a kid coming I my wife went back to work and she was not happy and I said uh, I said I'll tell you what let me work like a dog right Tuesday Thursday I leave at nine I'll come home at one o'clock in the morning right I'll take the kids to school I'll cook them breakfast I'm home on Friday we do weekends let me work like a dog and I'll make money yeah she said done yeah. so she was raising the kids and I would do that and I would I would just because that's work. what it takes because kids like. You gotta be the last yeah. person in the bar talking yeah. to barman because yeah. it, it, that's that that is you know I had Malik this guy Malik Amrani on who's running vice he worked for Gadget he's like he's like dude I had a motorcycle like I yeah, people are taking a subway and I'm on a motorcycle I got kid crates and one like he was just out working yeah. people it's a, it's, a, it's a motivating force and I, I think at the tail you know there I, my peak months I would get a half a million of sales in a month yeah. Uh, which is kind of crushing. Yeah, that's totally there, crushing. There was like I was doing as much as much some small companies are doing. Yeah, but it was just all that hard work, groundwork, ground game, and also like you have, like I have, I can tell the story. Yeah, and I'm personable, and I, I and I and I don't do it in a fake way. I genuinely love people, right. and I love telling stories, right. and that's why the podcast came out of the fact that right. originally this was a TV show right. that never happened. And I was pissed, and I'm like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do a podcast." I love it. So. <clears throat> Perfect segue. So you mentioned how it started. It was actually you were doing it live, which isn't so much fun to do do shit live. Oh, yeah. Because because that's people like like I have shit printed out on like I this is just leftovers from when I had a full time producer. Um, and maybe there's some bullet points on there. <laughs> but I just, I just, this is just a conversation between dude. But that's why your podcast is great. I listen to it. You get great guests. I, I, you had Zeke on. Oh my god! Yeah, but you've got great guests too. Like, I, I, it's so funny. Like, like inside, like I have certain friends, like uh, who have podcasts, um, and I'm like, ah, fuck, you had G Love on, right? They had yeah. G Love on, or like, or like we had Josh came on. Like, fuck, I was thinking about getting him. You know? But I, but I text you like great yeah. fucking score, dude. Yeah, That's no, awesome. totally like, did, yeah. I, I'm psyched for you. I think um, this is a medium that is should grow it's the acoustic version of music um people need to hear each other's voices and uh and hear that you know this is the fun of it like what can i ask you something what <clears throat> do you have a favorite podcast that still resonates with you you're like oh shit man that was like i've had like two podcasts where i, I just afterwards was just sitting quietly by myself 
Um, and I'm curious whether, like, do you have one or two that just stand out and you're like, man, that was just fucking magic? I will sell you one that <clears throat> just stands out for one reason. I don't, someone actually asked me this question maybe yesterday, like, what's your favorite one? I'm like, that's really hard. It's hard, yeah. Um, but one that I can say stands out, I won't say it, but I remember I had Eric Azamov on from New York Times, mm-hmm. and that was relatively early. It was like second season, so like... Yeah, it's a biggie. It was a biggie, and I remember riding home on the train to live in Jersey, and, I, and, and we both, you mentioned this, like how you skewed towards your mother. I skewed towards my mother. My mother was fucking hilarious. My mother was like a black Carol Burnett. Like, she was <laughs> hilarious. Like, I, I like, she, she, she could have been anything Carol Burnett could have done. Very, very funny, super articulate. Um, Still around? Passed away in 2019. Yeah, so you're Thank you. Um, and, you know, that's the whole MJ. That's my nickname my mother gave me. Yeah. Um, but um, I was like, I, I remember I said, I said to myself, I said, to myself, I said, Mom, and your boy just sat down with the wine crate from New York Times, and, and, and it wasn't even a thing. Like, didn't even blink. No. You know, and it's like 20 interviews in, and like... Mm-hmm. Um, so that was memorable because he was a, a huge, uh, I think the biggest wine scorer. I mean, I've had great people. Oh my gosh, I think a great yeah. so some, some of the smaller ones are even more fun. Like I like bringing people like who back like great scorer. Some you might know Marquita Levy. She's yes. uh, she's fucking yeah, hilarious. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like she's she's, a, she's like, I try to get her on. She oh. fucking never return my text. So Marquita, you got <laughs> need to go on John's podcast. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll she's gonna I'm gonna tag you in this post. <laughs> She she will crack you up. She's yeah. phenomenal. Her story because she was in the arts too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dancer, yeah. Um, but so that one stood out. But uh, and then also, I will say JJ Reddick just because JJ Reddick gave me another NBA guy. Yeah, first NBA guy. Yeah, I dogged him forever. Yeah, huge like leading scorer. Dude. Yeah, yeah. He was a leading scorer in the ACA, AC, ACC. Like I, I wanted him so bad. By the way, Michael Jordan was in the ACC. James Worthy was in the ACC. Mm. Okay, Christian Laker was in the ACC. So Reddick bias was in the ACC. So Reddick is a bad. Reddick Reddick is a, is a bad. Um, but I remember I listened to that episode by the way, and he knows his fucking. And he knows fucking wine. Yeah, I was like, I was like, talk about close. I'm, like, I'm not even trying to talk to you about fucking Bergen because yeah. you know more about Bergen than I um, But I remember him, before we started, we're one, and he's like, he's like, MJ, how many podcasts you've done? That when I was like, like forty-eight, and, he was, and this was the best. He's like, you're a real podcaster. He's like, because most people quit like after about four or five episodes. And, uh, and he said, he said, I get invited on the podcast all the time. I say no to 99% of them. But he um, became a follower because, you know, he, he I had a guest on who was one of his wine brokers. And I just nice. noticed JJ Reddick started following me. And back then, the biggest thing was I used to slide to people. I used to slide to people's DM. Hey, I'm, I have this podcast. And, yeah. Uh, come on. And I said his DM. I'm like, I love you on the podcast. And he said, let's do it. Now, the flip side is I'm, I'm at the train station. It's scheduled. And I'm at train station. I get a text. He's like, "I'm really sorry, MJ. Like, something came up. I got rescheduled." I'm like, "I'm like," and 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 then like an hour later, I see like he had just signed the deal to become a sportscaster. And I was like, "I was like, fuck, he's not coming on." Yeah, yeah. I was like, "I'm right. fucked." Yeah. But he did. He rescheduled and signed up person and, and apologized that he didn't have a better burgundy because he most of it was out of his house on East End in the cellar. But it was but. Um, fucking great guy, and so those two for but for reasons not, and I did have a great conversation with JJ. That was just phenomenal. Because mm-hmm. um, then again, that was someone I was like, okay, here's someone who's been in the media since he's 16 years old. McDonald's All American, Duke, superstar, superstar, yeah. 15 year NBA career, and 
you know, no being starstruck, just like sit yeah. down, kick it, feeling comfortable in yourself and myself. Um, those are two that really stand out because it can be easy to be like, well, I'm really nervous because this yeah. person, you know, because Eric Ezebov is Isaac Ezebov's nephew and he wrote all the yeah. science fiction over this guy, you know, who's yeah. leading explorer and has talked to, you know, like, you know, every famous announcer in the sure. world, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, <clears throat> Zeke was another one, great one. He gave me a great compliment after too, and he said, I asked a really good question. So yeah. it's been fun. Um, how about you, since you brought that up, man? <clears throat> For me, there's a couple of funny ones. Uh, Joe Lockhart was one of my first, who was President Clinton's press secretary. That's a cool guy. I dogged that's that a dude. fucking cool guest, though. I dogged him. And he uh, he said, no, I get paid to do podcasts, <clears throat> and I just wouldn't let him go. And so I said, uh, I said, hey, um, at what point, we're both about the same age, and you live in Tribeca, at what point in your life do you do things just because it's joyous and it brings fun to your life? <laughs> I appreciate you just emailing me back. Thank you. It's been right. nice chatting with you. Email me back. I'll think about it. Christmas time comes. Hey, Joe, Christmas miracle time? Okay, let's do it. He walks into my office. He's a white-haired statesman. He's a talking head on CNN. He's rolling up this, like, Brooks Brothers shirt. And I said to him, uh, Mr. Lockhart, Joe. He goes, Joe, Joe, um, you know, we don't have to talk about Monica Lewinsky. We don't have to talk about this, whatever. He, and he's just rolling up his sleeves. And he looks at me and goes, son, I, I speak for a living. I highly doubt you could paint me into a corner. Let's do this. <laughs> I was like, motherfucker. And instead of getting nervous, it made me really excited. Right, right, right. And I started, I'll never forget, I started chatting up to Pop. I said, let me tell you, there's no more place more controversial than uh, the, the Vatican other than the White House, so let's start here. We knocked off a whole bottle. He was fucking awesome. And my second one, total surprise, Kony Sandu is a sous chef at, um, I'm trying to the place, it's on Atlantic Avenue, Colony. And uh, I went in with my wife, and he's an African guy. Lights up a room, smile, and like chatting about it. I was like, man, you should have him on your podcast. Yeah. Comes down the office. Um, he's from the Ivory Coast. S sits down, we start chatting. Um, he escaped Africa he, during the Civil War. They were going to try to get him to be a child soldier. His right. parents gave him money, took his passport, because if you get stopped, they know what tribe you're in, they'll fucking, you're, you're no, in the military. He escaped Africa, ended up in Europe, got to New York. He's living in the Bronx um, with like 10 people in a, you know, a room. And he's found a job dishwashing through somebody. Mm -hmm. He's downtown dishwashing. And he gets, uh, first he's like, I don't understand black culture. What's the thing with the sneakers? No, I'm saying, people don't understand. Right? Like, <laughs> that, right? that, that's, that's somebody who's like, I'm telling you a story, but I'm going to so plug it. So he's going out and somebody says, Dude, you, should, you should think about modeling. He's like, goes back and tells his the aunt and the five people, they're like, these people have fucked them, they're predators. It's like, happens again. He's washing dishes with this French guy. Of course, he speaks French. You know, yeah. And he's just like, it's like, what the fuck? Just do it. He's going to shoot your portfolio? He's like, sure. So he did it. He's, he gets fucking booked right away. And he's doing the, the, the elite runways. And his agent, now he has an agent. He's, he's like, you know, I'm just talking to him for 45 minutes. He's like, no. He goes, John Legend. Who's John Legend? <laughs> His goal was to buy his mother a house in Africa. He's still sous chef there, saves all his money. He went back to Africa. Because I still go and hang out with him. Yeah. He just bought his mother a house in Africa. And we were talking in the show. I was getting teary-eyed and choked up. Yeah. I couldn't believe he escaped Africa. Yeah. Like, and he was, and afterwards he was like, I can't, I felt like I was in therapy. I've never told anyone this. Yeah. That's what I was, that's like, fuck. I, I love that too about my show. People go like, oh, I've never told this story before. And, and it's yeah. not, it's not like this is not the Maury Povey show. Like you are not the father. I'm not trying to give you. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It's just um, I'm 
and we both have the conversation and be able to be in conversation and actually engage and listen to people mm, yeah. and listen for what I was like for what they're really saying, like but what's behind that and like and 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 then people just it's been wonderful to have people share. And that's what I think has resonated is that people it's the stories. I tell people, listen, there are way better um wine podcasts if sure. you're concerned about that. So why yeah, geek shit? Yeah. Um, I'm too cool for that shit. Fuck that. <laughs> well, I just I, I love people so much. I want to hear the story. So well, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the thing, Dude, right? Well, I can go in there. He comes out from behind the line. I he would give me cooking tips. The biggest hug. Yeah. My wife's like, I love this guy. He's yeah. the, he's like six foot two, like lean, carved, and the smile. Like I like this guy is just so funny. But I mean, as, and that's uh, that whole point. It's so funny about like. I'm just studying black culture, right? It's very funny, right? Because like, because he's African, right? Like, yeah. like, and I tell people, I'm like, oh, I'm not really African American because I don't know enough about African culture to really. For me, that's cultural appropriation for me to say I'm African American. I've had somebody correct me. I would say, oh, you know, he's just a black guy, and they go, and they go African American. Then I would say black guy again. They go African American. Right. And I turn to them, I go, hey, um, I'm not going to assume the dude's from Africa. He could be from. Haiti, he, he could be from like whatever, right. Jamaica, from Brazil. Like, why he am I gonna fuck? Why am I so? Because there's, there's that's that kind of white liberal guilt, yeah, like, right? Exactly, exactly. exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. yeah, fuck yourself. Well, that's the whole black yeah. line. Yeah. I think yeah. it, was, it was a joke. Was yeah. when I started the wine business in like late in 97, 90, yeah. I'd be the only, I'd be like, one of like, this is before Andre, yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah. like, you're like the only black guy there, right? Yeah. So people were like trying to, like, there's a guy who went to Rutgers for law school, he has glasses, uh, you know, they're just saying, who's that black dude? I saw it. You 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 say the right time. I'm not going to be offended. <laughs> why why would somebody? You know, it's just like that's yeah. that's the world. And, and 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 but it was even started. That's but people don't understand. Just like everything, John, and going back to what you're talking about, seventies. Just like just like everything. I said this last week's episode with Karen. You know, people don't understand. People go, oh, how'd that happen? How did Roe versus Wade get overturned? Because the day after. Uh, it became law that abortion was legal. They kept, they've been working on that since that day. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no laziness, right? Like, so, like, so, like, uh, listen, to this day, what, there's still only, like, a handful of black people in the wine business, and, and I, but I also tell people, too, like, understand, though, I think it's a different reason. It's not because it's not inclusive. I'm like, do you really want to be waiting on white people? <laughs> <laughs> Now that's fucking funny. <laughs> you want that salmon well done sauce on the side, bitch? Exactly, right? Like, and I think I know that I on Lee Campbell early on. Lee Campbell, you remember people I would know. Yeah, Lee. yeah, Lee's amazing. But she was, you know, Lee went to UVA. I remember she's like her sister. I'm like, yeah, but you're a waitress. Like she was like, I'm an hospitality. I'm like, yeah, but you're waiting on yeah. people, right? Yeah. So like, listen, I have. I'm glad. I'm, I love people who didn't finish school because I have too much education to to to, to be waiting on people. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, yeah, I but just, but to sit down and talk with anybody and and and, and I love this, right? Yeah. I think this is. Um, so then, uh, how many episodes are you in at this point? I am at two hundred and thirty episodes now. That's fucking amazing! And uh, sometimes it's it's daunting, and I I gotta say sometimes it's a, a little much because I do pretty much everything myself. Yeah, we talk and about uh, but. It's like my wife's like, Why are you doing too much shit? You're the director for T. Edward, and you do this. I'm like, I love sitting and talking to people. Yeah. I just had Paul McLaughlin of Moshanna. He was the first American captain hiring at La Bernadette, and he's waiting on Paul Newman and John Wood. And, his, and he's like a 
blue collar working yeah. 80 hours a week in the restaurant business to amazing now he's the managing partner right. and I, I have such respect for that and that's the fun shit man right. it's right. the fun shit right. you know like, totally. I, I love it so I don't know I'm going to keep going I'm going to try to write a book about this um, I'm you know, working my way, my way through that um, I don't know you know I've, I've, I've written it as a still a, a TV show and a pitch idea we'll see um, for me I'm not happy unless I'm creating that's what I realized yeah. if I'm not creating something I get bored and I get angry and it's not a good place for me to be, so uh, that's why I do it. I just have to continue to create. It yeah. just makes me happy. I, I, I hear you, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because it is. I mean, like, I think that's been the same for me. Like, it's been, it's it's not easy. And it has, I've gone through a lot of changes to keeping on that. How many episodes you have? Uh, this will be like, probably like, I mean, I have some bonus episodes. I'm well over 150 with bonus, but I think you'll be 147, 148. Yeah. And I started. I basically started in 2021. I did start in 2020, but I did 10 episodes. So you just think three years. I put out an episode almost every week. Yeah. Three That's years, 140 episodes. That's a lot. I do one a week. And I, sometimes I skip and I put the best of up. Yeah. I mean, I try not to because when I because I, I had a big layoff at one yeah. point in 2022. And it, it, I took a, a hit um, uh, by being off for like almost two months. Yeah. Um, however... Um, say, you missed it. Yeah, and you missed it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like I did a lot of the my episodes have been on the road lately, which I love doing, which is oh, great because I, I have a TV show idea as well, right? Um, and but I was like, so like you know, I came in, I pay a membership fee because you get a discount, and like I hadn't been here, I haven't been here since fucking November. Mm-hmm. November, but like you come in, they know you. They, they know I'm still putting out content. It's good. Like yeah. the creator community, like there's that camaraderie. But th- this is the shit I love. Like, like this, this, like at this point in my life, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what I would do for joy yeah, if I wasn't right. creating, like you said. Yeah. Like, like this, this, what's funny is, um, like going back to what we said in the beginning, like seeing where people are listening to your podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, I was able to speak in Italy on a panel and I was like, I was like, like when you have a podcast and people get on the treadmill or the Peloton or walking or driving, you're literally, we're in their heads and people are inviting us into their heads. That's, I don't take that lightly. So I want to, I want it to be entertaining. I want them to get some knowledge, but it's more edutainment and just for shits and giggles at the end of the day. Hope people laugh. They get a wine they never tried before. Dude, I love your road shows. Like I guess say the quality is just like spectacular, which is uh, something I really appreciate being a Virgo. <laughs> Audio detail, like detail, detail, even though it's kind of tough to maintain. Yeah. But uh, your road show stuff is fantastic. Uh, it's it's and, and that's fun. Take it on the road. I've done a few yeah. with my mobile unit. Yeah. It's hard, but it's, yeah. uh, well, I, I I think, and that's also that's a crazy thing too. Like to go to another city. Like, Washington's big. I've done two live things in Washington, right? And it's just wild to go somewhere, mm. get on a stage. And it's not ego, just just that people, like, like to have shorter people come listen to you talk. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Oh. Now I need 200,000 and then I'll be okay in this game. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's getting there. Yeah. It's getting there. Um, so... You also like, and that's another thing I want to say. I want to shout your social, like, 
I was trying to figure, you always try and figure shit out. Like, I'm like, because you, you have, like, you write skits. You do skits. <laughs> he gets out. <laughs> he's on, yeah, he's on a balcony in Tribeca. I'm like, yeah. There's no dry January here, people. Yeah. Mine. He's like pouring liquor down his gullet. Yeah. Like, it's so funny. I haven't done rec- one recently. I, it's my all hail fermented grape series yes, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I just um, I don't know. It's one of those like I was pent up one day. Uh, my friend Anna was there. She says, "You want to do something? Like follow me out to the fire escape." And I just like started yelling at people on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, like John's crazy. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just you know, I'll target you. You know, like you then, there yeah. in the yellow overcoats. <laughs> I don't hate artificial intelligence. I hate artificial intimacy. Like, that's bullshit. Reach out, touch somebody, kiss somebody, hug somebody. You know, yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of my um, uh, network. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Take, riff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I love doing it. It's just like, and I, so let me tell you, it takes five seconds for me to do that shit. Like, I like, okay, let's do this. Right. And, you know, I'll just... No, so oh, like, people, yeah, people, yeah, people do that. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you? I'm like, I'm just telling what time to be there, man. <laughs> like, I don't mean, just, just, just relax. Yeah. Uh, I got it right. Like, well, I'm, yeah, I'm also. I, it helps to try to get my. You know, you have a lot more followers than I do, so I think just it's important for me to get out there. It's also one of those things, like you know, when I have an idea about something like artificial intelligence, people worry about that in this instead of like the artificial intimacy, which is this fucking joke of like, hey, emoji back, smiley face, thumbs up, fucking heart. Like it's so fake and bullshit that yeah. it annoys me. And like people get lost with the wrong idea. AI is good. Artificial intimacy is bullshit. <laughs> Don't send your mom a fucking emoji. Call her up and say, hey mom, thank you. Love you. <laughs> so true. Yeah. I remember that's most that's a great it just made me think of like one time when I'm graduating from college, like a month later, but it's like my buddy came up. He didn't come to see me. He met this girl when the last time he came over, we came to see her. But anyway, yep. I didn't even know he was up there. He's like, yo, he called me. He's like, I'm in New Haven. And I was like, and uh, he's like, I'm going home. I was like, all right, I'll ride home with you for Mother's Day. And I remember just riding home, you know. Three hours, surprise my mother on Mother's Day. Like yeah. you, you can't do that with an emoji. Yeah, that's real. But like, people, or something. It's like it's like this this generation that just feels like they yeah politically motivated to put a post up and that make that. Oh, I oh, oh, listen, I know. I'm like, we, we're, we're we're wrapping up, but that's yeah. a whole other thing. I I totally fucking went into the virtue signaling. Like, oh, I'm down for the cause. You didn't do yeah, shit. Bullshit. You bullshit. Do, yeah, I hate like, that. You pass it. I really yeah. do too. Um, so. <laughs> Um, slap, flick, fondle. So, um, I'm going to give you three grapes. Okay. Um, slap one. And I tell people, well, they're like, well, what does that mean I don't like it? I'm like, well, you can, could be, you don't like it. You could be Will Smith or you could, you could be like, um. Slap, lick, or what's the third? Fondle. Fondle. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, okay. um, so we have, I know we have, so we have a Syrah here. Oh. We have a Sauvignon Blanc, and then we have, um, what am I doing? Adam. Pinot Noir. Which grape are you slapping? Which one are you licking? Which one are you following? So of the Pinot, uh, I'll, I'll just, so I'll just, so I'll just, so I'll just, Pinot, which one am I slapping? Yeah. 
Ooh, that's a really tough one because I love all three of uh, them. That's the whole point of this. That's a really good. tough one. Yeah. Um, I didn't say barefoot, Moscato. Yes, yeah, know. yeah, right. Uh, I would um, I would have to slap Pino. Mm. Uh, because cause, cause that motherfucker is too finicky. You can get on your that's nerves. Exactly. I have to be like, you know what? Shut the... Yeah, it's, yeah, well, my problem is that there's so many bottled aeration Bernie, which I love. Um, I was just at the Mark Hotel had this fucking Palmer that was three hundred twenty five dollars and it was a piece of shit. Don't you hate that? Yeah, and so the price is what kills me, and that's why I'd have to slap that off. Um, uh, Lick would be the Sub Blanc, Fonda would be the Syrah, because I think it's hard to find really shitty Sauvignon Blanc. So I think like obviously stuff from the Loire Valley, but I got to tell you, man, you want a great example of a great for a great. That is supposed to be planted where it's supposed to be planted. Good luck finding a shitty New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Even the oh, mass-produced million fucking cases, yep. I want to hate on them. Like, you know what? No. It's pretty good. It's still got them grassy notes. It's got that's the gooseberry. Be, yeah, that's <clears> because <throat> that great That literally is terroir. Yeah. yeah that's that, exactly. that is, that, I never thought of that way. Yeah. That is that's the way. Strong. And then I just love Syrah. So. Awesome. Cornhubs, Cobra Tea. Yeah. Joe Tesley Syrah from Santa Barbara. Like, Joey. I just live. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm in love. Um... What are you most excited about in the future? In the future, what am I most excited about? I would have to say, um, I love the Grower Champagne Explosion. I love the Grower Champagne Explosion. I think, um, I'm so happy to see a lot of like Pinot Meunier out there that used to be just a I filler. I love yeah. Pinot Meunier uh, still, but also in Champagne, I yeah. love it. I think it's, anyway, I yeah. digress. So Grower Champagne, for sure. Um, I'm kind of, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm big on the double zero beer. Oh, double zero is doing a beer? Uh, no, no, double zero, like no alcohol beer. Like Guinness. Oh, oh, the not, not an egg. okay. Like Athletic Brewing. Athletic Brewing's got it down. Guinness, double zero. Really? I'm Irish. I was at St. Patrick's Day. I was at, uh, with Damien and Marcella, who owned Monk one Guinness. You'll get more Irish than these people. They're like, you got to try this. I'm like, eh, we were laughing. Right. I'm like, fuck. And yeah. I drink it. I love Guinness. Right. And they're like, this is killing it in Ireland. Wow. And I told Dave James, I can't figure it out. I said, this is why. Let me tell you something. You have a sports bar. I go to watch a football game, Super Bowl. <laughs> it's like three hours long. If I'm sitting here for three hours, guaranteed I'm going to have at least six beers, right? right? If I drink three non and three regular, You're okay. Beers, yeah. I'm okay. I wake up, I don't have a hangover. It's not about abstinence. People are confused about this. They're like, oh, fuck that. I'm like, no, it's fun. It's about finding your balance. You can still have your booze, yeah. but you don't want to wake up because you got shit to do the next day. You exactly. Want to be working optimally. Exactly. So I think the finding that, so that's really kind of exciting to me. Ooh, yeah. Wow, I love that. That's so dope. Hey, Big John, tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing, okay. podcast, Instagram. Right. Uh, yes, uh, D-O-T-J podcast. Uh, is the Instagram and drinkingonthejob.com is the website. We can look at a bunch of past episodes, all that kind of stuff. But um, hey, man, I gotta say thank you for having me on. Let me talk shit for an hour. Ah, uh, man, listen, we, <laughs> we listen. We could. This could be one of those. This could be a Rogan episode. We could go for. We could have brought some this Bobby Gobert like four easily, hours easily. How much did I left out? I know. <laughs> I know. I was like. I was like. I was like. I was like. I was like, oh, man, we could go longer, but I got to get my man out of here. It's Friday night. Um, <laughs> all listeners, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. You'll find info on the wine we drank, uh, links to cool things we discussed. I'll put his links to his, his socials and uh, the, the podcast, the website. And until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and wine drinkers. You check out all those boxes, my friend. It's your boy MJ saying peace.
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.